Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Scriptures in which we find and discover our life in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that You might open our ears to hear something new of You. We pray that You might open our hearts that we might more deeply and more profoundly welcome with joy the risen Christ into our lives. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Amen. This is the night, most of all, where we celebrate those words. This is the night where our shouts of joy should shake the rafters like the roar of lions. Christ is risen. But this truth that our Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is not just for tonight. So someone once gave me an inspirational magnet, which if you know me, I'm not the inspirational magnet type. And like many gift magnets, it usually hangs on my fridge without much reflection. But, in the morning, I'm slightly grumpy, and so I love looking at inspirational magnets and being sour about it. So the magnet simply says cheerfully, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? I have to look at that magnet as a church planter. It just seems cruel. So the whole notion, this cheerful magnet is saying, if you were perfect and invincible, what would you do? What would your heart's desire be? Sounds encouraging. Until you live with it for a few years, because you start to realize, I can fail. I am not perfect. Maybe this is a trick question, and it doesn't help me at all. And yet I still keep that magnet up on my fridge. I never knew, but now I know. It's because of tonight. It's a terrible question, for me at least. So I want to offer you tonight a different question. A different question to wake up to every day. How will you live knowing that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the bedrock of the Christian faith. But it is shockingly easy to begin to get so used to it that it doesn't affect your life. Oh, the resurrection of Jesus, we place that on our very nice theological shelf and we get back to life as normal. But what would it look like if the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead informed and infused your whole life? So part of an answer, I believe, is found in the words that are repeated twice in our Gospel reading. Do not be afraid. Now we could say that those words are simply there because there's a scary angel and Jesus has come back from the dead and they just want to calm two women. But no, I want to see it as this is the first time that that statement can truly be made. Do not be afraid. Christ is risen. If Christ has been raised from the dead... We, of all people, should not let fear shape our lives. 
So tonight, I'd like to look at this passage and look at three ways that it's very easy for us to let fear shape our life as we forget that Christ is risen. First, do not be afraid. Christ is risen. Death is not the end. Our passage begins with two women who are very logical. They have seen their teacher, their master, crucified. They know that the Romans do a very good job. And so they have concluded he is dead, full stop. And so they go, accepting the finality of death. They go to his tomb in the early morning light. They go expecting a corpse. Instead, they discover that death is not the end of Jesus' story. Like a meteor crash, a fearsome angel who Matthew said had the appearance of lightning descends from the sky. Oh, let's be done with sweet baby angels. A terrifying angel thunders down. And the tomb itself quakes in response. And the soldiers freak out and fall on their face in terror. This is a fearful moment. This is terrifying. But then the fear melts away. For the angel looks at the women and says, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. If you're looking for Jesus, if you think this was the end, it's not. He's not here. Death didn't overcome him. You see, in the resurrection of Jesus, we Christians know that we don't only see the reality of Jesus' resurrection, but the promise of our resurrection. We see the promise that death is not the end for us either. But the problem is we live in a world saturated by the fear that death is the conclusion. Death is the end. A French theologian named Jacques Ellul once said it's always important to pay attention to what he called the commonplaces. The common sayings that we say without thinking in chit-chat that actually reveal so much about our underlying philosophy of life. How many times have you heard, life is short? All kinds of ways. Life is short, man. Life is short. I've been thinking a lot about that phrase. And I feel like what our society, what we mean by that often, is life is short. Go out there and get all the experiences you've dreamed of. Life is short. See all the destinations. Go on all the cruises. Life is short. Satisfy your desires. Life is short. Realize your dreams. Life is short. Make life valuable for you. My son Isaac uh, is approaching two years old, so I'm in, enjoying uh, the toddler phase of life, so prayers appreciated. And my son, is, he, he's obsessed with blueberries. He eats an astounding amount of blueberries, and sometimes as a tired dad, but also who wants to be the fun parent, I'll just like plop out the whole tray of blueberries, and I'll be like, hey buddy, you want to eat some blueberries? And he's like, yeah. So he eats a few, and then I say, hey, can I have one? And he's learned how to fake me out. And then I say, okay, bud, 
we're all done. And he looks at me. And I said, no, man, we're all done. And he looks and he just starts to pack blueberries into his mouth. Just to get as many as he can before he knows dad is going to close that up and put it back in the fridge. He literally acts as if he will never, ever see blueberries again. Toddler life is short. Get the blueberries while the getting's good. But in many ways, that is the world we live in. Life is about you. It's about satisfying what you want. And life is short. See, the irony is that's not how Jesus lived his life at all. He lived his life for other people. He didn't live his life to satisfy his own needs, his own desires, or his own dreams. He lived his life in service. He died at the young age of around 33. He didn't get all of the vacations and the dreams and satisfactions. Why did he do that? Why did he live the opposite kind of life that we're so tempted to live? Because he knew that he could give his entire life over to God. And God would give him new life. You see, the resurrection is not just a promise for us that we'll have eternal life. It's actually a relief to us to realize that we don't have to get everything in this one. It frees us from the tyranny that this life is about meeting our needs. And it opens us up to the possibility that we can spend our entire life serving other people and give all those blueberries away. Just give our life away, knowing that when we have given it all away and we come to death, the Lord says, here is life. Thank you for spending your life like my son Jesus did. But we're surrounded by the fear that death is the curtain call that says the party's over. But death is the conclusion of our service in this life. So let's serve as Jesus served. Second, do not be afraid. Christ is risen. Sorrow is not the final word. The Gospels say that the women went to see the tomb. And you could interpret that as they were kind of spectators. They wanted to go visit, check it out. But these are women who have followed Jesus, supported Jesus in his ministry for many years. Women who've been healed by Jesus and found, found grace through Jesus. They are not going to the tomb to be spectators. They are going to grieve. The Gospel of Luke tells us that they were going to anoint the body of Jesus with spices because he'd been hastily taken down from the cross. They were coming to complete not only his burial, but to complete their grief. But their grief was interrupted by the resurrection life of Jesus. Isn't that the wonderful thing about the disciples and the women who followed him? None of them got to complete their sorrow. None of them got to finish the story in tears. But God still allowed the grief. He still allowed the pain. Though Jesus had told them that he must be given over, that he must die, they still felt it. It was real pain, real sorrow. Real loss, just as real as the bloody death of Jesus. 
So that should warn us on this night of celebration that any Christianity which promises us complete freedom from pain and from sorrow and from suffering is a lie. But the amazing thing about the Easter story is that God broke into their pain with new life. Their grief is interrupted. The angel tells them, I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know you're here with spices to mourn him and complete his burial. He's not here. Not only is Jesus raised from the dead, he's getting busy. He's on the move. The angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has been raised from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Not only was the women's grief interrupted, Jesus was already on the way, starting a new thing. He's not just alive, he's on the move. He's changing the story. He is adding chapters to the Gospels. And the angel says, enough sorrow, hurry up, God is moving, and he's continuing the story. So here we have for us, not just the promise that at our death, trusting in the Lord, that we have the end of pain and sorrow, which what a comfort that is. We also have the hope that in the midst of our pain and our sorrow right now, Jesus can break in if he wants to. That the resurrection life that broke into the women's pain can break into our pain as well. And new chapters for our stories can be written. Do not be afraid. Sorrow is never the last word when Jesus is in your life. He can break into whatever you are facing with the resurrection power. Finally, do not be afraid. Christ is risen. And if you are his follower, you will never be irrelevant. The angel says to the two women, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. See, the interesting thing about the disciples is they weren't the first ones to share the good news. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were. In an era where many thought women couldn't serve as reliable witnesses in court, definitely couldn't be disciples to a rabbi, God reverses their secondhand status and he lifts them to a place of honor where they are the first ones sent with the message of Jesus' resurrection. In the medieval era, they actually began to speak of Mary Magdalene as an apostle of the apostles. Because they were the first ones given the glorious news of our Lord's resurrection. And then, when the women leave and they're on their way to tell the good news to the disciples, they're the first ones to meet the risen Jesus. And Jesus joyfully tells them, Greetings! And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus again says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Why, 2,000 years later, are we talking about these women? Why are we talking about Mary Magdalene? Because she was successful in life? Because she had lots of stuff? Because she was wealthy? Because she was powerful? No, we're talking about her still because she shared and carried the good news that Christ is risen. 
there are so many people throughout the Gospels and beyond that we remember and celebrate and honor simply because they were part of the story of Jesus. But then, today, we tend to be overwhelmed at times with a feeling of our own insignificance. We gauge ourselves by the markers and values of the world instead of seeing that simply being part of the story, simply bearing within our hearts the good news that Christ is risen, makes us the most relevant people of all. God invites us into His great story that we've been listening to all night. God has been at work in the story of redemption, and He's invited us into it. Who cares about those other categories? Who cares about what people think of you? You have the good news. And just as those two women were tasked with sharing that good news to the disciples, you are called to share that good news in your circle, in your life. Do not be afraid. You can never be irrelevant. You can never live a meaningless life. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart. You are part of the greatest story. Do you see why it's so important for us to really reflect on the resurrection? Not just as something for a theology textbook. Not just something that we put on the website. We need the resurrection of Jesus Christ to take up, take up residency in our heart. So that it shapes our lives. And the tragedy is when we leave that up on the shelf and we don't let it transform us, then the world comes at us with all the different kinds of fears, all the different kinds of uncertainties. And how do we fight against that? I feel like I've done a very good job preaching a table All Saints sermon up till now. But one of the things that's happened, some of you from All Saints, you know me from years ago, but what you didn't know is I'm kind of a nerd. And at the table... They've allowed me to be a little nerdy in my sermons more and more. So I'm bringing a little bit of our flavor of our life and what they have to suffer through to you all as well. If you've read the book Dune, or if you've seen the recent movie, there are women in the book Dune called the Bene Gesserit. If you haven't heard any of this and you think nerds are weird, I totally understand. All you need to know is that these women are kind of ninja nuns. <laughs> they have mastered themselves. They rule behind the scenes. They are the epitome of self-control. And they have this thing called the litany against fear. And this is what it says. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And 14-year-old me thought, Ooh, that's power. I will see my fear pass beyond me. Only I will remain. Well, here's the thing. Adult me is like, I have a lot of fears that I don't easily overcome. 
aging me has fears that 14-year-old me couldn't even think of. So if all these ninja nuns have to offer me is I am going to be so strong that I will look at my fear and I will say, please be gone, fear, and I will remain, that doesn't help me much when I'm weak. And in Dune, it is a world where seemingly there is no God. And perhaps in a world without the resurrection, perhaps the only strength you have to overcome your deepest fears must be within you. The challenge, though, is I look out at a world that is overwhelmed by fear. How do I have any hope to overcome it? Here, instead, are words by which we can banish fear. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has overcome death itself so that you and I might not live in fear. So how will you live knowing that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Amen.